You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Genesis chapter 2, 15 to 17, and Genesis chapter 3, 1 to 8. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Everybody say, work it and keep it. And keep it. Thank you. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. I feel like this is me talking to Sophia. You can go anywhere you want, but this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, I'll spank you, or you will surely die. I'm sorry. You can go to any tree in the world, except for this one. And off Adam and Eve go to the one tree. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of, the, any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw with her eyes that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, it was pretty, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, which is a good thing, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was... Who was, who was, Adam was there too. Ladies, how many times do you wish your man would speak up and he stays quiet when he should say something? Men, how many times do you wish your woman would just not go to the tree that everybody said not to go to in the first place and that we wouldn't have to speak all the time? Age old problem dating way back, way back. Where are we? Oh, yeah. So Adam ate it too. Then the eyes of both were. See, sometimes God needs to blind us to stuff that we shouldn't see. We're always praying, Lord, open my eyes. But maybe sometimes we need to be blind to things before we can actually see them. Their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And listen to this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, or a better translation is, in the mighty rushing wind of judgment. We kind of got that translation a bit wrong. Everybody remember in Job where it says the Lord answered Job in the whirlwind? That's this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. (laughs) 
Our title for the five weeks of Lent is Becoming More Aware. We want to look at things that keep us from being aware of the presence of God. It's not that the presence of God shows up when we're aware. You've heard me say this, and I'll keep saying it. It's that we need our eyes open to the fact that the presence of God is always happening. A lot of times we make God really enslaved to our, like, when we get it right, God will finally move. We need to get it right to see that God is always moving. We don't need to get it right so that God blesses. We need to get it right so that we can see that God is always blessing and realize blessing in places we wouldn't have counted blessing before. Our issue is not that God doesn't bless us. It's that when our hearts aren't like Christ, we don't see the things he's given us as blessings at all. We've defined blessing and then made God the receptacle that all those blessings are supposed to be poured into, and then when we pull the right levers, they come out. What if Lent is not about repenting for the bad things that we do, but for repenting for the way that we mishandle the good things that God has given us? Sin is never the handle of the sin is never the doing of something bad before it's the idolizing of something good. When there's something you just have to have and you can't live without it and your life is defined by the pursuit of it, that is going to cause you to misuse the good around you. An ambiguous example of this is a friend of mine from many, many years ago who lived vexed over the things that his father said and did to him when he was growing up. And he would always say to me, my goal in life is to just simply not be like my dad. And as I learned along the way and as I continued to uh, fellowship or be friends with with this friend of mine, it became apparent to me that he's actually idolizing his father. He hates him. But his whole life is defined by not being like his father. So he doesn't realize that his father is actually at the center of his existence. His whole worldview surrounds his dad. It's just that some people idolize their father by saying, I have to be like him. And if I'm not like him, then I'm a failure. And for other people, the same idol says, I just have to not be like him. But the reality is Jesus becomes the sort of cosmic bellboy to help you get to that place, but he's not the one that you're trying to be like. The dad was at the center of the existence. Now, not being like somebody who's abusive is a good thing, amen? But when good things become saviors, we end up using the savior to get the thing we really want. His pursuit needed to be Jesus. And in the pursuit of Jesus, he would have learned two things. How not to be like his dad and how to forgive his dad. You see how that fills out? It's not just about not being like him. It's also about being able to forgive him. Maybe stay away from him, but forgive him. Maybe have boundaries, but forgive him. What if Lent is not about repenting for the bad things we do? but repenting for the ways in which we mishandle what is good. Eve saw the fruit was beautiful, wise, and food. How many know food is good? (laughs) Really, I, I, food should have just gotten a standing ovation for that. How many know food is good? Really, really good. 
I love God for inventing food. I love him for inventing gluten. I love him. Beauty is good. Desiring wisdom is actually what the Bible tells us to desire. So she saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes. It was beautiful. She saw that the tree was good for food, which is excellent. It's what her body was created to crave. And she saw that it was able to make one wise, which is a good thing. Next time somebody says, oh, you're just being wise, tell them, thank God. Because you're being stupid. You should try to be wise. That's what you should tell that person. Don't tell them that. Or tell them, but just don't mention that you heard it here. God gives wisdom. It's not meant to be taken. Adam and Eve took. Beauty. Man, if people could learn this. Just because something's beautiful doesn't mean it belongs to you. Let me say that more theatrical. Just because someone is beautiful doesn't mean they belong to you. You can't just go get it. You can't just have it any way that you want to have it. Are we tracking? Just because two people find each other attractive doesn't mean they can act on that attraction any way they want to. Yo, this whole church needs to be saved. Like, I'm doing a terrible job at this. Jacqueline, we need to quit. This, listen, it's Lent, man. I got five Sundays to just beat the sheep senseless. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm not kidding. Just because something is good doesn't mean it's for you now, doesn't mean it's for you ever, and doesn't mean that if it is for you, you can have it how you want it. It's scary that even husbands and wives who have entered into the marriage covenant still don't understand that they can lust after each other. Oh, we tell people who aren't married that they lust, but when the husband or the wife sees their spouse as the object of their affection only and not in the affection that they can give, they start using sex as a reward or a tool. And lust has entered the marriage. Lent, huh? Okay. I'm just saying. We're going to talk more about this stuff. And I don't think I need to elaborate on this point. Just because there's food in front of you. Shut up. God gives wisdom. We don't take it. Beauty is meant to be observed and not used. Food is offered and prepared. It's not taken. But Eve offered it to Adam. See these cufflinks that I have here? Little cufflinks? I told Sophia never to take them. So here's what she does. She steals my cufflinks. I can't find them. I'm going to kill my family on a Sunday. Because now my whole life is revolving around these cufflinks. And what happens? I'm stewing. I'm angry. I'm mad. 
And here she comes. She goes, Daddy, look what I have for you. You can have them because I love you. I found someone more crafty and subtle than the serpent. But isn't it funny that when we steal things and then we offer them, we feel like it's okay that we had them because we offered them. So many times we get the car we can't afford, the house we shouldn't have bought, the clothes that were too expensive in the name brand but we didn't want to wear the other brand, and then we offer God a sacrifice of praise for the stuff we shouldn't have. Which is the same thing as Sophie saying, here's your cufflinks that I stole because I love you. So yes, Eve offered the fruit, but she offered stolen fruit. And Adam, like most of us men, take the path of least resistance and go along. John, you can come up and play. We're done. I'm just kidding. No, sit down. We're, not, we're a long way from done. Man, you want to get out of here, huh? You were basically at the piano just now. Like, that was the fastest I've ever seen you move. You went over the table, over the drums, and amazing. Watch what happens. She mishandles what is good. And just before we're told that Adam and Eve were to work and to keep the ground or the earth, the word work means to serve and the word keep means to protect. Adam and Eve were tasked with the famous line to serve and protect. That is what they were called to do, to serve and protect. Serving is when I offer you my gifts to make you better. And protecting is when I offer you my safety so that you could be safe. Protection is when I offer you my safety. The guy jumping in front of the president when there's a shot fired. I'm, off, I'm giving up my safety so that you could be safe. The father running back into the fire to save his children. I'm offering you my safety so that you can be safe. I'm offering you my gifts so that you could be more whole. And I'm offering you my safety so that you could be safe. The good shepherd lays down his life when he sees the wolf coming. Jesus, I'm offering you my safety so that you can be safe. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. I'm offering you my gifts so that you could be made whole. To work and to keep, to serve and protect. But watch what happens. When Adam and Eve mishandle what is good, the first thing they do is they cover themselves with fig leaves. Notice what happened here. They're supposed to give their gifts to nature. But when they sin and mishandle what is good, they end up using nature for themselves. Cutting things down off of its source of life to cover my shame. And all of a sudden, the leaves that were meant to be blessed by Adam and Eve were now being used by Adam and Eve. And then even more straightforward than that, they're supposed to protect the garden. And what do they do? They hide. Get my fat behind to maybe... 
Some of you can see me. Some of you can't. Oh, there's the anointing oil. I don't know. <laughs> hey, peekaboo. They, they, they hide behind the tree, making the tree vulnerable to protect them. They're supposed to stand in front of the tree and say, don't you come near this. But they felt judgment coming, and they hid behind it and said, you block me. You see what happens when we mishandle what is good? We end up using the thing that we're supposed to be serving. We end up using the people we're supposed to be serving. And we end up hiding behind the people we're supposed to be protecting. We deal with our sin by covering ourselves, basically trying to fix it. And, and more modern phraseology of covering ourselves with fig leaves would be, you know what, um, I, I sinned, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fast, and I'm going to try harder next time. You just sewed fig leaves on yourself. Sometimes we mistake confession for repentance. Sometimes I do something and I feel guilty. And so I tell my wife, honey, I sinned against heaven and I sinned against you. Oh, it's okay, I forgive you. And I feel better. But I didn't repent. It just made, confession made me feel less guilty. But there was no act of turning from it. I'm still going in this direction, but I feel better. And I mistake confession for repentance. Confession is the front door to walk into the room of repentance. But sometimes the emotional release of confession, when you tell somebody, fine, you're right, I was lying. Or, you know what, I was being indulgent. Or, you know, I was being greedy. When you finally say that, and the emotional chemical release that you feel when you've actually come clean, we mistake as actually having had repented. When in fact, all we did was just massage ourselves into feeling better. We hide from God by either following the rules and hiding behind them, or by just being casual with our spiritual life. I'll pray and read if I have time. I'll come to church if it's a particular kind of day. Yes, pastor, are you taking us back there? Yes! Because so many of us are too cavalier, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. We're cavalier in our praise. We're cavalier in our attendance. We're cavalier in our giving. And I can say it because I don't harp on you for any of those three things. But it's Lent. And so now I'm allowed to. So now I'm going to. Jesus said, the one who is pouring her tears on my feet knows how much she's been forgiven. And when you've been forgiven much, you praise like crazy. So all of us who stand there and do nothing on Sunday are not either aware of how much we've been forgiven or don't think we should have been. Don't say that's right. Make it loud next Sunday. Don't clap for this. Clap next Sunday when the music starts. You're so tempted to clap now, but that's when I told you not to. Don't go to the one tree. Everyone runs. Push past comforts to take Jesus seriously. Oh, there's so many events. We're tired. Upstairs in that back room is an old plaque that used to hang in front of this building, and it still has all the service times on it. Let me tell you, we don't have too many services here. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 
Guests day off Thursday, Friday, Saturday night alive, prayer meetings, two services on Sundays. Now we barely, barely all year long come to church twice. You're not tired. You've gotten used to it. Somebody said to me, you know what? I love your passion, pastor. We need people like you. Yeah, you need people like me to become a pastor to tell you exactly what I'm saying now. Don't get comfortable with our cavalier, cushy, safe lives. All right. Hide behind the trees. We'll talk about that in a second. Want to see something really touching? We'll get off the negative train for a minute. Watch this story. So now, so let's just, let's end with Adam and Eve have now exploited creation by using it to cover themselves, and they're hiding behind the tree. That's where we are. Pause. Why are they hiding behind the tree? Because they heard God coming. That's where we are. Pause. Let's fast forward. John chapter 1, 43 to 50. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Listen to this. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael, we found God, as what he says. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Have you ever met a person who you tell them a whole big long thing and they brush it off with one quick phrase? Am I the only person who does anything in a day? Am I that person? (laughs) Okay. Philip said to him, come and see. I'm so sick of you, Nathaniel. Just come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. I love the King James Version. An Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel said, how is it that you know me? Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. What just happened? Some could say that Nathanael must have been doing something bad under a fig tree earlier and Jesus saw him. Maybe he was smoking or gambling or watching a PG-13 movie or something. But Jesus says something to him that makes him go from cynicism to worship in one sentence. (laughs) I would give anything for that power, just so you all know. (laughs) I saw you sitting under the fig tree. I don't think Jesus was talking about that day. Adam and Eve are hiding from the presence of God, covered in fig leaves, behind trees, so God doesn't see them. Covered in fig leaves. And Jesus says two remarkable things. Nathaniel. In you is no sin. How can you say that? Because I saw you hiding behind the trees with the fig leaves on. And Nathaniel says, you're, you're the voice that my ancestors were running from. 
Adam and Eve don't know who God is yet. So they hear the sound of him coming. And they're ashamed because of what they've done. They're embarrassed because of what they've done. And they hide because they don't know him yet. But Jesus shows up and says, that voice that you heard coming toward you, and so you covered yourselves with fig leaves, Nathaniel, it was me coming in Eden. That voice was me. But I've already told you there's no deceit in you. I wasn't coming to kill. I was coming to see how my children were doing. You don't need to hide when the voice and the judgment is the lamb slain since the foundation of the world, the lamb slain since before they ever ate that fruit. And here's the other thing. For anyone who says that sin separates us from God, if sin separated us from God, guess what Adam and Eve wouldn't have heard coming toward them? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. If sin separated you from presence, you would never have to hide when presence shows up. Now would you? Salem, Lent is about learning to run to the voice that is running to you. It's about not covering ourselves and trying to fix it. It's about not hiding behind trees. After all, Jesus is the last Adam. Watch this in Mark. It's about to get real spooky right now. You're going to think I'm weird. And I know you don't think I'm weird. But you're about to think I'm weird. Mark 14, 51 and 52. Maybe the oddest verse in the entire Bible. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus gets arrested. He's about to go get crucified. And it says, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. In the middle of this story of Judas and 30 pieces of silver and Peter cutting off Malchus's ear and Jesus saying, I'm the one you're looking for and everybody falling to the ground and Jesus telling them to get back up and then telling him to arrest them because you don't arrest Jesus, he allows himself to be arrested. Then he, he, before you arrest me for all this sin that I've committed, can I please heal your friend's ear real fast that my guy just cut off? Here you go. Your ears are healed. Now arrest me. I'm really bad, right? How's your ear? After all of these stories, quickly in only one gospel, a guy was there and he tried to run away and they grabbed his pants and his pants fell off and he ran away naked. Why is it there? Why? You ready for Spookyville? Bill Bernasconi, you're going to love this. One, one mystic to another. For all of you people who are like, does, what does the Bible say? Just tune me out. Tune me right on out because you're not going to like this. This is just for mystical folk. We just read a story about a man in Eden who realized he was naked and ran off. His name's Adam. When the last Adam gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
all of a sudden, somebody runs off naked again. And I've read, I combed commentaries for this. And one person, I'm not going to say who it was because everybody would judge him if you knew. I almost can't believe it myself. One person said, what if Gethsemane and Eden for a split second became the same place? And the Omega at the end of the story is also the Alpha who is also in Eden. And all of a sudden these two gardens match up to be one. And Adam runs off naked again and Jesus says, you go. I got this. What does that mean for us? It means that the voice that sounds like a mighty rushing wind that sounds terrifying to you is the voice of the lamb who was slain since the foundation of the world. Adam realizes he's naked and he covers himself. Jesus hangs naked and offers the Roman soldiers his garments. Adam hides behind a tree and asks a tree to protect him. And Jesus hangs in front of a tree saying, I got you, tree. I'll protect you. Adam naked, hiding behind a tree. Jesus naked, hanging in front of a tree. To let us know that we can be naked and not ashamed again. Meaning, we can be real and honest about the ugliness of who we are. Because there is a redemption we can't even fathom that is standing there for us 100% of the time. This is why in Luke's gospel, he does the only reverse genealogy in the Bible. And in Luke's gospel, it ends with an Adam, the son of God. It usually ends with Jesus, but this time it ends with Adam. It's reverse genealogy. And then the next, so it says Adam, the son of God. And then the next story is Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Because Luke is a genius writer who wants to end the genealogy with Adam, so you say, right, but Adam failed because of temptation, and the very next story is Jesus being tempted. But Adam was tempted in a garden, Jesus was tempted in a wilderness, and here's why, because Jesus goes to what we've made of the garden. What is a wilderness other than dust and ash? Dust and ash. How many people a few days ago heard, remember you are dust? And to dust you shall return. Jesus doesn't go to a garden to get tempted. He goes into what we've made of the garden. We've exploited it and sinned against it until the garden has turned into a wasteland. And there, the last Adam endures the temptation that we failed. Let's stand to our feet this morning. There really are some of us, maybe we know it yet, maybe we don't, who feel afraid for God to see the real us. And some of us, the problem is we've heard that so many times that we swear it's not us. But the Adam and Eve story is not there to show us an avoidable reality. The Adam and Eve story is there to show us what is true of all of us all of the time. Well, what if Adam and Eve never sinned? The point of the story is that would never have been the case. What we all do is sin, cover, and hide. And I can't tell you how you are covering and hiding right now. 
But all of us are in some place or another, and it's why we're riddled, some of us, with the deepest levels of anxiety. Not the clinical kind, the circumstantial kind. The kind that shows up when I've tried to control my life and realize I can't. Some of us are riddled with jealousy. Jealousy is not wanting too many things. That's greed. Jealousy is wanting a little bit more than the person you can't stand the most. Some of us actually say openly, I know I'm a terrible person. God's not done with me yet. And we say it as a way of avoidance. You've heard me say this before. It's that Eminem from 8 Mile moment. If I diss myself, no one can diss me. God still can diss you. (laughs) We're all covering and hiding. And before God ever clothes Adam and Eve with animal skins, which he does, he first has to take the fig leaves off. He first has to bring them out from behind the tree. But what do we know? God relentlessly runs at your sin so that you can run away from it. Run to the voice that is always and forever running to you. Sin doesn't separate you from his presence. It may bring consequence into your life. It may affect other people. We may live in that for the rest of our days, but forever matters. And in forever, our wrongs will be made right, and those we've wronged will be restored, and those who've wronged us will become the kinds of people who wouldn't do it again. And the way that we embrace that future flow is by coming out from behind the fig leaves, coming out from behind the tree, and embracing what we're terrified of, ourself with nothing blocking it. My very first message ever in this church was probably pre-2007, so whoever gave me a microphone back then The Lord will forgive you if you repent, I promise. But I remember the youth pastor gave me two mirrors and said, I want you to ask the kids which mirror is easier to look into. And they were both the same. And I'm like, all right, you okay? They're both the same. He goes, oh. And he takes one and he breaks it and says, now ask him. And I asked all the kids, which mirror is easier to look into, the one that's not broken or the one that is? And they all said the one that's not broken. And I realized what he made me do. And I said, no, the one that's broken is the easier mirror to look into. Because you can blame the mirror for how you look. But the one that's not broken is the hardest one to look into. Because that is who you are. Somebody needs to come out from fig leaves today. Somebody needs to come out from behind a tree today. And look not into a mirror, the book of James, where we see ourselves dimly and then immediately forget who we are. But look into the perfect law of liberty, who is Jesus Christ himself. Everybody close your eyes. 
if you're here on any level today and you're saying, either I know exactly where I'm hiding and I know exactly what I'm using to cover myself and I'm tired of living in this toxicity or you're saying, I know I'm covering and hiding myself in my gut, I know it, I just don't know how or what that means. If you're either of those, I'm asking that you would raise your hands so that we could pray for you today. If you're covering yourself at all, or think you might be, there's hands up all over the place. I'm going to give one more moment for somebody to think through this. But if you want to just be the real you, good, bad, and indifferent before God, and learn to see yourself in a new way, I'm asking you to raise your hand this morning. This is the reason why we come here. This is the reason why we fight. This is the reason why we press. This is the reason why we get excited about God. Because God invites you and your sin over for dinner. And then you leave without it. But there's people in this room, your hands are probably up right now, where you are just disgusted with yourself sometimes. And God becomes an angry, vindictive parent, not the lover of your soul. I'm just going to ask because this is what we do. If your hands were raised, I'm asking you to come to the altar this morning. And I'm going to have the worship team sing over you. You can move now. Somebody be the first one. There was 47 hands up in the air just now. I saw you. Let's get used to being in church again. How many know we can express ourselves in God's house? How many know that we could be real in front of each other here? Let's, let's have church the way that we're supposed to have church. Before we come to the table, let the Holy Spirit wash over you for a little while. Holy Spirit, I pray for everyone who has the courage right now to come to the front and say, I'm done. I'm done hiding. I'm sick and tired of it. I pray, Lord Jesus, that somehow when my words are done here in a moment, that your spirit would just take over and, and we've gotten ourselves this far. We can't get any farther. Now you need to lift this church up, Father God. You need to hover over this place. You need to impregnate us with a new image, a new view, a new understanding of who you are. I pray for those who are new to the faith, that they would feel the warm, heat, strangely warmed sense of your presence. And for those of us who've been walking with you for a long time. I command in the name of Jesus that this isn't just another rote moment at the altar, but this is the forever therapeutic coming to the tree of life until we should receive that full stature in the image of God. Holy Spirit, have your way over the people this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.